You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Hello, everyone. It's great to see you all here this morning, and I know that I, I, I say this all the time, but I mean it every time that I say it. Uh, it's such a privilege to be a pastor here at this church, to serve this congregation, all of you. It's uh, wonderful. And um, some of you may not know this, but I, I haven't always been a pastor. Um, I've had multiple jobs before this. My first regular job as a teenager was back in 1998. Seems so long ago, back in the 1900s. Uh, it was actually at the McDonald's just down the street over here. That was my first job. It looked a lot different then. Uh, but when I worked there, they hid me in the back. Fair enough, I was a punk teenager, and uh, I mainly grilled the burgers and, and, and made the sandwiches, super fun. After that, I, I worked at an assembly line factory that made furniture, where I eventually became the guy who drilled dowel holes in pieces of wood for nine hours a day on what was called a boring machine. And yes, it was very boring. And after that, I worked at a cleaning supply company doing shipping, receiving, and purchasing, and, and that was fine, but uh, my boss was the worst. <laughs> Just kidding, it was my dad. <laughs> Anyways, I've, I've worked many jobs, and, and one obvious thing you may have noticed as I was going through those, those jobs that I, that I had was that the tasks and the priorities changed with each job right? They changed to, to align with the purpose of the company. I mean, when I worked at McDonald's, again, my, my prioritized task was making sure the burgers were being made correctly and in a timely fashion. That was of utmost importance. That was priority one. But at the furniture factory, my new prioritized task was drilling dowel holes. <clears throat> So making burgers was no longer a priority at that point. But if I had refused to accept that and spent all my time at the furniture factory in the break room making burgers, I would have been fired, right? So the point is when we change jobs or when we change vocations, the purpose, goals, and therefore the priorities change with it, right? And in the same way, this is what happens when we become born again as Christians. Our purpose, and, and therefore our priorities in every area of life, change from what they used to be before we knew Jesus to now being aligned with Jesus. If you were with us last week, you might remember that we learned all about how we become like what we worship, and therefore when we believe by faith and worship Jesus, the perfect image of God, we, we begin to become conformed into his image. And as such, we're given a new calling or a new vocation as image bearers of God in the world. We bring his presence, we bring his gospel, we bring his truth into the world. And so, of course, this, this, this new vocation as image bearers of God then brings with it those, those new priorities, new tasks, new callings that, that align with God's heart and his will, 
whereby the things we used to live for or do in our old life, when we followed the course of this sinful world, they, they're, they're no longer important or a priority for us anymore. In, in fact, all those old, old things, they, they pale in comparison. Uh, the Apostle Paul is a great example of this for us. Before he met Jesus, he was a completely different person. A, a, a zealous Pharisee delighting in his own good works and in destroying the spread of Christianity. But after he met Jesus, his whole life changed. His, his new vocation as a follower and as an apostle of Christ came with a new purpose, new desires, and therefore new priorities, which now aligned with the heart of God. And, and this is precisely what we're going to be reading about and learning from in our passage this morning as we continue our sermon series through Colossians, which we've titled Complete in Christ. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 1. We're going to be at verse 24, Colossians 1, 24. And then we're going to be reading to chapter 2, verse 5. There, there really shouldn't be a chapter break there, but there is. So it's important to remember when we're reading our Bibles that the chapter breaks are just like made up later. Like this is a one full letter. And so we're going to be reading from Colossians 1, 24 to 2, chapter 2, verse 5. So this is Paul speaking to the church in Colossae. And he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The other day, um, my oldest son stayed home from school because on the evening before that, he'd been hanging out with his cousin and a friend. And uh, they decided to walk to the corner store to get a Slurpee. And soon after they started walking, I'm told that uh, he tripped over the sidewalk and he twisted his ankle pretty badly. He's, he's right there, by the way. Um, <laughs> he gave me permission. <sighs> Supposedly, it hurt so much that he couldn't walk around the school the next day. So, so my wife thought it best to keep him home until he healed up. Fine. 
What, what I found out later, though, is that on the night he twisted his ankle, he had decided to still limp his way to the corner store in excruciating pain because he really wanted that Slurpee. So, just to recap, he was in too much pain to walk around his school, but yet no amount of pain in all the earth could stop him from getting a Slurpee. And if you know Liam, that is true. There, there, there's, there's a lesson here. There's a few lessons here. Um, one in particular, and it's this. We're willing to struggle and even to suffer for what we think is important, for what we value and what we've prioritized in our lives. Right? We're willing to struggle and even to suffer for what we think is important, for what we value and what we've prioritized in our lives. And, and to that end, we can tell, as, as Paul states in this passage, that he genuinely cares for the Colossians and for the Laodiceans and all the Gentiles he's been called to reach with the gospel, whether he's met them face to face or not, because he's willing to joyfully suffer and struggle for their faith. And that's the language he uses, right? He says, I rejoice. He's not complaining. He's like, I rejoice in my suffering because it benefits you. And then again, he says, for this I struggle and I toil, referring to their growth and maturity in Christ. Paul even views his own suffering as, a, as, as like a window for them to see the way that, that Christ suffered for their sin at the cross to win their freedom. So, so we can tell by his language here that, that, that accomplishing the mission and purpose that he was given by Jesus was of utmost pri- priority for him. In, in fact, his whole life revolved and, and was directed by that purpose. In another letter, he says that it's Christ's love that compels him. And in another letter, he says that he's been crucified with Christ and that the life he now lives, he lives for Jesus. Again, ever since he encountered Jesus and, 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 and encountered Jesus' grace on the road to Damascus, his whole life was, was reordered and transformed. He, he no longer cared about his old life and, and, and the priorities of the past. What mattered the most was fulfilling the call that Jesus had placed upon his life. Even to the point that he was willing to toil and suffer for it. Of course, in the same way, every Christian that's, that's prioritizing and, and authentically living out their God-given purpose can and should expect to struggle for the goal or experience suffering at times in their own lives as well. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So, so this verse has, has two simultaneous and intertwined meanings. First, it means that we rejoice in what Jesus Christ accomplished for us in his own suffering at the cross for our sin and redemption. That is, by his grace, we share in the victory of the cross. But secondly, we also rejoice that we get to join him in his mission in proclaiming that gospel to the world as his image bearers even though it might lead to struggling or persecution or suffering in our own lives as a result or even as the means to accomplish it. And Jesus warned us that that would happen. 
So we rejoice because we know in that case that our suffering relates us with Christ and is bringing about his will. And this is precisely what Paul is rejoicing in here. Now that he's heard about the the results and the good fruit of his struggle and the faithful and and Christ-following lives of the Colossians, he wants them to know that from his point of view, everything he's gone through has been worth it. It was not in vain. Being beaten, arrested, thrown in prison, shipwrecked, traveling great distances, carrying the emotional and mental burdens of, of praying for and caring for so many people, every struggle and every moment of his suffering has all been worth it for the sake of Jesus Christ and for their salvation. Of course, he makes sure to mention, just as he, as he prayed for them previously in Colossians, that nothing he did was, was accomplished by his own strength. He's not boasting in himself, but rather he's saying, it was all by the mighty power of God working in and through him. He couldn't have done it without God, and neither would he have wanted to do it without God. But still, his, his struggle was real. He gave everything, and yet he felt that his struggle was worth it because he was seeing the fruitful outcome of all that the Lord had prioritized and reordered in his heart. And, and, and to that end, I wonder, though, if, if we took an honest look at our own hearts and our own ambitions, what are we actually willing to struggle and to suffer for? To put it another way, what, what do we deem as important? Are our goals and priorities actually aligned with who we are as image bearers of God? Chris Martin, not the lead singer of Coldplay, but the Christian author, writes this. Priorities are the coordinates that set the course of our hearts. What we value determines what we prioritize. What we prioritize determines how we spend our time. How we spend our time determines how we spend our lives. All of this impacts our sense of self and identity as image bearers of God. Disordered priorities can lead us to lose ourselves. Naturally, then, priorities impact our walk with Christ. What we value determines what we prioritize, and what we prioritize determines how we will spend our time and our energy. Conversely, then, when we look at what we spend our time and energy on, we can use that as a marker for what we prioritize. Check your screen times. For, for example, I, I value the success and, and joy of my children. Right? So that means I'm going to put down my phone or I'm going to put down my book if they want to talk or if, or if they need a, a ride to school or youth group or something like that because their growth and their future takes precedence over my own desire for entertainment. Now, if I was grumpy or annoyed about having to put down my phone or that book, and, and that's never happened, but, <laughs> but if that does happen... Right? That would mean that I would need to do a little self-reflection about what I actually value and what my priorities are. And as Christians, we, we have to understand and, and grasp that like Paul, that as soon as, as we encounter Jesus, 
He reorders our goals and our priorities. Again, through Christ, we've been called into a new vocation or purpose as image bearers of God. And, then, and this new and glorious purpose comes with new goals and new desires that are now aligned with God's heart and his mission and his plan for all creation. In other words, and again, what we prioritize as born-again Christians is now completely different than what we used to prioritize when we followed the sinful course of this world. Our lives should look different than unbelievers. Our life is no longer our own. We live for Jesus. His priorities are now our priorities. And subsequently, these priorities should shape how we spend our time, how we make our decisions, how we interact with others, and should determine what we're willing to sacrifice and struggle for. In the military, there's a word for this, or a phrase for this. It's called commander's intent. Commander's intent, where, where, where it's easier to train a soldier to, to understand the prioritized goals or the, or the final outcome than it is to train for every possible little scenario that they might have to face. So in other words, if a squad of soldiers knows what, what the final outcome of a mission is supposed to look like, like hold this bridge or whatever, right? then they'll naturally adapt their, their skill set and use sound judgment or wisdom as they make decisions accordingly, also doing whatever it takes to achieve that goal, regardless of, of whatever unpredictable circumstance they might come up against. In the same vein, no good soldier is, is going to do something that's antithetical to the goal, and, and neither will they choose to act in a way that serves a different outcome. Right? What I'm saying is, is that if we as Christians can grasp what God's heart and mission is for us, then we won't act in a way that's antithetical or opposite. Rather, our lives and the decisions we make and, 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 our, and, and with our unique gifts and our skills and, and, our, and our different jobs and all these things, we're going to use those things and, and follow suit accordingly in order to accomplish God's mission. And Paul actually uses the same line of thinking when he's speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3 to 4. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. For no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Again, once we understand or, or grasp or take hold of the, the purpose we've been given in Christ, it'll be our singular focus and desire. We, we won't get distracted by useless and, and meaningless pursuits of the world. Rather, our purpose in Christ will define our priorities and shape the way we live our lives. Of course, God isn't going to force us to do this, right? This isn't about coercion or, or manipulation or trying to make God like us. Not at all. Rather, the point is, if we've been saved by Jesus Christ, and if we've experienced the wonderful, incalculable measure of his grace, we'll not only want to live for God and, and make his purpose our priority, but we'll also be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. This, and, and this is a high calling, 
It's, it's a privilege to be a part of it. And it's of the utmost importance. And again, Paul exemplifies this for us in his own life. Obviously, obviously though, since, since Paul was, was an apostle, so specifically called into this role, like obviously his personal goals are going to align with God's mission. And some of you are like, well, I'm a, I'm a plumber or I'm a lawyer or whatever. Like, how does this work? Well, I'd argue that he, he still displays for us what, what the objectives and priorities of every Christian should be and what we should be willing to struggle for since, again, we're, we're all in the same vocation as image bearers of God, meaning we all have the same mission and the same hope regardless of what our job or our skills or our role in life is. And, and on that end, I think where we often get confused as Christians is when we start speaking of our calling or our vocation. And quite often we think that those terms are, are per- pertaining to what role or profession or, or job God wants us to have. But that's not really what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that as followers of Jesus, we all, each of us, have the exact same vocation to be lights of Christ, to be image bearers of God on this earth. And the only difference would be the method or the, or the spaces in which each of us live that out throughout our week, based on our gifts, based on our life situations. More than that, our calling in Christ should be actually what, what directs our choices and, and motivates or shapes the way we function in our jobs and in our homes and in our daily lives. But here lies the question, then, what, what, what is our calling as believers or image bearers of God? And again, to answer that, we can learn from Paul's example. Because, I, again, I'd argue that the same God-given purpose and priorities which motivated Paul should also be the same things that motivate us and shape our lives. His priorities were aligned with God's priorities for the world and for the church, which, which tells us that we should take note. And what we can read in this passage is that Paul tells the Colossians here that the things that matter the most, the goals and, and priorities which were close to his heart because they were close to Jesus' heart, that the reason he suffers, the reason that he toils and struggles in the power of God is to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ to the lost. To teach the full word and knowledge of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. To encourage and unite believers in love. And to build up the church into maturity. Again, these objectives were given to Paul by Jesus which means they show us the heart and plan of Christ for his church, his people, until Jesus comes again in glory. And so what we can infer from this, is, as, as well as from elsewhere in the Bible, is that these objectives should be our top priorities as well. As a theologian Scott Pace and Daniel Aiken write, by God's grace, Paul is empowered to labor and persevere in order to see the Lord's mission accomplished. In the same way, we must devote ourselves to striving for the mission of the church. As we are strengthened by his glorious might, we must tirelessly serve to help others come to know the mystery of Christ, to grow to maturity in Christ.
So again, just, just to sum it up really quickly, in Christ, we've all been given a new vocation or purpose as God's image bearers. As such, we've been given new hearts with new goals and desires and therefore new priorities that align with God's heart and mission. And Paul shows us here what those new priorities are. Later in the letter to the Colossians, Paul also calls this putting on the new self. Colossians 3, 10, and 11 states that through Christ, we've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We're no longer the old self. We're all made new in Christ, in his image. And, and this new change comes with new purpose. So as we go through the rest of the book of Colossians in the coming months, we're going to be taking a, a closer look at what this new self looks like and how it changes the way we live and what we prioritize. But, but for t- today, I just want to quickly highlight those specific God-given objectives which Paul highlights to the Colossians here. Because again, they, they also show us what we should be prioritizing as followers of Jesus, as image bearers of God. So, and, and as I go through them, I want to challenge each of you to examine the ways in which your own life is reflecting or prioritizing these objectives. And in the same vein, let's also humbly examine the ways in which we feel the Lord is seeking to sanctify us or asking us to adjust our lives to better prioritize his mission so that we can live it out in the spaces that we live and work. So again, as as image bearers of God through Jesus Christ, who are on mission for God, for his kingdom come, the following objectives are now our priority. And obviously this list isn't exhaustive, but if I can be blunt, it's also non-negotiable. We don't pick and choose. It's non-negotiable. This is who we're called to be and what we're called to prioritize as we anticipate Jesus is coming again, which with all that's going on in the world could be today. We have no time to lose. So here's our objectives that we should be prioritizing as Christians. Number one, proclaiming the gospel to the lost. Proclaiming the gospel to the lost. Paul, Paul writes here that, to the Colossians that Jesus chose him to bring the mystery of God's word to the Gentiles, that is, those who were, were formerly outside of God's covenant promise, and that this mystery is now Christ in them, the hope of glory. In other words, through Jesus, salvation from sin is now available to all who believe, and to that end, His primary mandate and priority is to preach the good news of Jesus' salvation to anyone who would listen and believe. But again, this, this, this wasn't just his own objective. Jesus himself tells us that this calling should be priority number one for all of his disciples. In fact, the reason the Colossian church exists is because someone that Paul shared the gospel with went and shared the gospel to the, in Colossae. Mark 16, 15 to 16 
Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This should be priority number one and the greatest desire for every Christian to share Jesus' grace and love with the lost. The question for each of us then is how do we pursue this or make this a priority in our offices, in our homes, at church, or in our neighborhoods? Which leads us to the second objective we should be prioritizing as images of God. Number two, grow in the knowledge of the Word of God. So Paul writes to the Colossians that he was also called in Christ to make the Word of God fully known as it's been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. The reason he says is so that those who understand its wisdom and knowledge can be firm in their faith, so they can grow in assurance and maturity, and also so they can resist the, the deluding words of any false teachings that would, that would lead them away from the truth. Of course, we, we were discussing all summer the importance of reading our Bibles, so I'm not going to belabor the point here this morning. But seriously, this should be a top priority for all believers, If we don't know the word, we don't know God, and we don't know the truth, and we're unable to preach the gospel, or know how to live it out, or even know when we're being duped by false teachers. And there are a lot of those right now. Conversely, if we make reading and meditating on the Bible a priority, we'll grow in the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord, we'll be able to share it with others, And we'll become more steadfast in our assurance of the truth and in who he's called us to be as his image bearers. Reading our Bibles. That's a priority. Which leads us to the third objective that we prioritize as Christians. Number three, to encourage and unite believers in love. To encourage and unite believers in love. So Paul writes that his his struggle for the Colossians was to specifically encourage their hearts and knit them together in love. In other words, one one of his top priorities was to build and unify the body of Christ, the church. This should be our priority as well. If we love Jesus, we'll love his people. And we'll desire to encourage one another in our faith and callings and make every effort to grow together in unity. Besides, Jesus says that the world will know him by our love for one another. By our love for one another. Not by our church splits or by our disagreements or by our apathy, or by our individualistic and self-centered consumer cultures. No, by our love for one another. Building the church in unity and love should be one of our top priorities. This is Jesus' desire for us. This is, this is what he prayed, that we, we would be one like he and the Father are one. And in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, Paul says it like this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's a life worthy of the calling that we have received? Be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul struggled for this. That's how important it was. He made every effort to make sure the members of each local church body knew the importance and what it meant to intentionally love and serve and forgive and support and correct and encourage and invest and be committed to one another as a Holy Spirit unified family of God. Bottom line is that we need each other to accomplish the mission of God. And I wonder, does, does this description reflect the way that, that, that we view or function or, or approach church? To that end, how, how is God asking you to encourage and love others more intentionally and make the unity of the body of Christ more of a priority in your lives? I'm saying, how is God asking you to do it? I'm not saying, well, no one's done it for me. I don't experience that here, blah, 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 blah. How is God asking you to do this? Which leads us to the fourth objective, number four. To present everyone mature in Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 28 to 29, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So like Paul, our toil and our struggle and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us should be to continue to mature in Christ and to help others do the same by teaching and proclaiming Jesus and his word to one another, to our kids, to our friends, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This isn't just my job. That isn't just my job, right, as the pastor to teach. It's, it's all our jobs. <laughs> our objective our priority should be to want to discuss, remind, and teach the word of Christ to each other. Later, later in Colossians, Paul will even say, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Oh, read the Bible. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. This should be our priority. Again, these objectives, these four objectives were Paul's joyful purpose. They, they were his God-given priorities, and as such, they informed or directed every part of his life. He even struggled and suffered by the power of God in order to accomplish them because that's how much they mattered to him. So let's learn from him this morning. As, as we ponder what it means to follow Jesus as image bearers of God, let's examine our priorities and ask God to align them with his heart and his eternal purpose. That we would even desire his glorious purpose to be fulfilled to the point where we're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing to struggle and suffer for it. Because the bottom line here, and, and this is our hope, 
is that when we prioritize that which is in line with what God prioritizes, we know that it'll not be in vain. It'll be worth it. It goes into eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. As image bearers of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, let's get our priorities straight. Let's give ourselves and our lives fully to the work and purpose of the Lord by his strength. For he gave himself fully.